0: Wednesday, November 14th, 2012, episode number 25 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on FootballNation.com. Welcome inside episode number 25. Nation Today podcast hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer, available exclusively each and every Wednesday for your listening pleasure on footballnation.com and for your downloading convenience in the iTunes store, please subscribe to the Football Nation Today podcast and the other shows available on footballnation.com in the iTunes store if you have yet to do so. I want to lead off the show this week by thanking you folks, the listeners. I believe last week's show was the highest viewed edition of Football Nation today since our inception last May. So wanna thank you all for that. I love the consistent listenership of the show and the participation in the show. Uh it is good to know that I am not talking into the abyss. Uh so that is very nice. Thank you all for that. Uh we have a big show coming up this week. Coming up in our first down segment in a matter of moments. I will play you my conversation With Sal Capaccio, one of our returning champions, Sal is the host of the Buffalo Bills Now and NFL Now podcasts. Find those on SalSports.com, and Sal can also be heard regularly on sports radio, AM550, WGR, in Buffalo. Sal is also a contributor to the Buffalo Bills radio network, as Sal actually had me on his podcast, Buffalo Bills Now, last week. So I decided to return the favor and welcome Sal back. The Football Nation Today Show this week. Asal is a brilliant football mind and a, a terrific guy to talk to, a great on air personality. Asal uh, and I talked about a number of NFL topics, including what does it take to win in this league, quarterback, coach, or something different entirely. We'll talk about that. Also, speaking of QBs, Mark Sanchez, Tim Tebow, that debate rages on in New York. Ben Routesberger has a strange shoulder. How big of an effect will that have on the AFC North race? And I also asked Sal a couple of lightning round questions, including who's more likely to make the playoffs, Saints or Cowboys? Who's more likely to be fired before the season ends, Andy Reid or North Turner? And some other questions of that variety. Then in our second down segment, look at the biggest off-field NFL story or stories of the week. This week, a couple things we're looking at. Number one, concussions in the league. Quarterbacks Alex Smith, Jay Cutler, And Michael Vick, all removed from games last week due to concussions. Uh, Has the league's handling of concussions gotten better or worse over time? The NFL also sent out a request this week to teams requesting that they uh, hire independent concussion specialists to evaluate their players and deem uh, whether the players can come back and play or not. So we'll talk about that. And also, the real referees had a bad week last week. What does it mean, if anything? In our third down segment, it's the Big Up Slowdown, looking at a number of issues, including tie games. Is there still a place for tie games in the league? The Saints-Falcons rivalry has that blossomed into one of the marquee rivalries in the NFL. And with a big win over Detroit last week, are the Minnesota Vikings now legitimate playoff contenders? And then in the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. I will tell you why Eagles fans are not crazy. In fact... They're right. I'll explain further towards the end of the show. It's Football Nation today. My name is Alex Reamer. We'll be right back with Sal Capaccio, host of Buffalo Bills Now, NFL Now, and also hear him, of course, regularly on sports radio AM 550, WGR, and Buffalo. We'll be right back. You don't want to go anywhere. Welcome back to the Football Nation Today podcast. It's time for our first-down segment and to bring us on and help us out with that. We welcome on Sal Capaccio. Of course, you know him from Sports Radio, WGR, in Buffalo, and also the Buffalo Bills Now, the NFL Now podcast. Sal, how are you? Always good to speak with you.
1: You too, Alex. Thanks a lot for having me, and uh, good to talk to you again.
0: Absolutely, yeah. We just spoke last week on the Buffalo Bills Now podcast, spoke about the Pats and Bills. And, you know, Sal, I'm curious to get your perspective on the Patriots. And we talked a little bit about this off the air, you of course coach football for many years, have been a football media personality for several years as well. So I'm curious to get your take on more specifically the Patriots defense. As I was telling you off the air, I think the Patriots actually played their worst defensive game in a while against Buffalo. Nothing was going right, but it's astonishing to me, Sal, that after five years of rebuilding, their floor is still as low as we saw on Sunday. And if their floor is this low, still, then how high can their ceiling be? That's my question. What's your biggest takeaway from what you saw on Sunday?
1: Well, first of all, I think that let's, as, as much as the Bills are only three and six, they're a really good offensive team, actually. Uh, they move the ball and they score points and they have dynamic playmakers. And CJ Spiller, nobody can really stop him. He was getting through the uh, New England Patriots defense every time he touched the ball, it seemed like. But in Fred Jackson, but you know what? They do that against a lot of teams. In fact, I'm looking at New England over the season so far up until now, they've given up over 400 yards four times, two of them to the Bills. In fact, other than the Baltimore game, the Bills had 481 against them and 438 the last time they played them. So it's not like they were playing, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, without Jamal Charles. I, they were playing a really good team. So I think that to for, for Patriots fans to kind of perk up and say, well, it's just the Bills, so we must have been awful. Well, I think they need to give the Bills a little bit of credit. That being said, I just don't think the Patriots defense is that good. I mean – The Bills were able to do a lot of things, but I think most teams have been able to do a lot of things against the Patriots this year, especially against that defense, against that secondary. I think Patrick Chung is a, that's a, that's the X factor for that defense when he's in there, he's not in there. They change so much and McCourty playing safety. I know he had the interception at the end. You know, it's a big talk in Buffalo is a bad read, bad route, whatever, but, uh, You know, I don't like that at all that he has to play safety. I think that's a really big uh, problem for them. But over and over, and their linebackers get abused in coverage, it seems like. So I don't, I just don't think the Patriots have the type of defense that really you're expecting from a Bill Belichick coach team. And that said, though, you don't need a great defense to win a Super Bowl anymore in this league. You can win it with just a great offense these days.
0: But, you know, Sal, you look at this from the Patriot perspective, it's the same old song and dance now, and this is something we've talked about a lot on my show uh, for the past five years. You know, it's hard for a lot of Patriots fans to look at this defense, coached by Bill Belichick, and say, man, I mean, they're still this bad. I mean, they're not even a league average defense now. They're one of the worst defenses in the league still. And it's just amazing that over the past handful of years, there really has been no tangible improvement, especially in past defense.
1: Well, here's the thing. You say they're one of the worst pass defenses. If you're going by yards, that, of course, is true. Because, But I'll say that part of the reason of that is, Alex – they score quickly a lot of times, and they play ahead a lot of times. Teams have to do a lot of things. They give up a lot of yards, probably in the second half to teams when they're up. And I don't know if that's really as much of an indicator. They're only the 15th worst team. They're half, they're middle and points given up, and I think that's a that's a big stat. And so so I think you have to put all those numbers into perspective. And I'll also say this: Chandler Jones is a really good draft pick, and Dante Hightower looks like he's going to be a pretty good player. But Chandler Jones is the right pick. And I you know I followed him at Syracuse, and I even had questions. When he came out of the draft, if he was coming out at the right time, I I questioned whether or not he was ready for the NFL because he really didn't play a full season his junior year before he left. But you know, this guy has his has his bloodlines. Arthur Jones, who plays for the Ravens, is his brother, and his other brother. I'm not sure if you know this. His other brother is Johnny Bones Jones, right, who's the course, UFC yeah. champion. Yeah, Man's so. An animal. I, Absolutely. So I think that's a really good pick right there. I think that they're at least trying to make the right decisions and shore up the front seven. I can't believe I'm defending the Patriots here because I don't think they're that good on defense, but at least I think they've at least made a couple of picks this year that have been better than what they've done over the last few years.
0: Today so I'm talking with Sal Capaccio, WGR in Buffalo, also host of the Buffalo Bills Now NFL Now podcast. You know, Sal, I've heard you say before on your shows that you say you think the difference between mediocre teams and good teams in the league are elite quarterbacks and head coaches. Correct? You think that's what? Absolutely. Differ- okay. You,
1: I think that if you take every team in the league and you go from and you, I apologize about that. If you if you take every team in the league and you go from fifty-two men to fifty-two men around the league. Everybody's equal, Alex. I think everybody's pretty much 8-8. and There's not much of a difference between everybody's 52-man roster. In this day and age of free agency and salary caps, yeah, you may have, like, the Bills have a great running back crew, but another team has a great linebacking crew. You know what I mean? So it just balances out. The difference in this league is that one position, quarterback, and that other position, the sideline guy, the head coach. I think those are the two differences. And If you have an elite one, you can get to, like, 10 wins because of him. If you have an elite two, you might be talking 11 or 12 or even 13 wins.
0: I bring that up, though, Sal, because I want to add the dimension of not beating yourself. I think that also separates the mediocre teams and the good teams in this league. I look at the teams that lose every week, Buffalo last week included, and they beat themselves. I'll go back to the Bills example since we both watched that game from beginning to end. Fred Jackson fumbling on the goal line. Now the Patriots consistently had short fields. They had the, you know, they had the strip sack, and they got the ball on the Bills' goal line in the first half. Then on the uh, last touchdown pass to Woodhead, they had a short field. Of course, the Fitzpatrick interception uh, that he threw to McCourty to end the game. It seems like every week, Sal, the mediocre teams are the teams that beat themselves with penalties, fumbles on the goal line, etc., and the Patriots never seem to do that. And that's why even with this defense, they've routinely won between, you know, 11 or more games every season. I just like to add that to uh, your elite quarterback and coach theory.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, in this league, look at over the last several Super Bowls. That This is the thing. I, I think there's such a change in this league over the last few years that this really last 10 years, we've seen a huge change in this league. And I think a lot of people are failing to recognize because we're so used to Alex, even I know you're young, but even when you were younger, not too long ago, it was defense and running game that won games and won Super Bowls in this league. And it's not anymore. It's just not. The bottom line is the teams that win Super Bowls, Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, every one of them has the elite quarterback. Like you have to have that to win in this league. You you don't have to have an elite running game. The Giants were 32nd, last in the league running the football last year. But all of those teams – have a, a great quarterback, and pretty much all of them you could say now have a great coach. I mean, if you want to put Tom Coughlin up there, whatever, he's won two Super Bowls now, but you get my point. If you have that great quarterback, you're going to have a chance to win a Super Bowl. You don't have to have those other things.
0: Keeping in the AFC East, Sal, you mentioned good quarterbacks. The Jets most certainly do not have a good quarterback. Um, no. I keep hearing. If the Jets go to Tim Tebow, they can never go back to Mark Sanchez, which is why this is, you know, which is why Rex Ryan is resisting this change. But my question is, Sal why I mean Sanchez would still be under contract even if he backs up tebow for the rest of the season why is that the conventional wisdom that if they go to Tebow for a week they can never go back to mark Sanchez
1: that's just stupid I mean he's a backup quarterback like any other backup quarterback you right. need if they if they want to go to him they should go to him the You've problem heard this, is
0: right I mean I'm not, people say this all the time
1: yeah I've heard it I don't agree with it I'll say this number one everyone said myself included I thought it was a disaster in waiting and I was Wrong about that early in the year. Now I'm right about it, just like so many other people are. Right. It was a disaster. Bringing him in and just the thought process of how they want to use him. And I, I really believe as a former coach, I will tell you that I think that they tried to fit him in so much that they took away from everything else that they could possibly do. That preparing and getting ready and maybe playing to Mark Santos is strength more. You, If you prepare... That's why, you know, that's why teams show different things like fake punts and fake field goals. So other teams have to take time from practice to prepare for them. Well, I think it's the same thing you're hurting yourself. If you're preparing with Tim Tebow to do so many other things, and why then you're not practicing your regular offense and Mark Sanchez isn't getting the reps he needs to do the things that he's normally supposed to do in practice. So I think that first of all, that's number one. Number two, it's a huge circus. We know that. And he was put in the worst possible environment with that group of people who already make it a circus upon themselves. And number three, I don't think he should even be the guy they turn to. I think Greg McElroy should be the guy that they turn to. If you can you could still use Tim Tebow the way you're using him now as a, you know, tight end or whatever, you bring him in at a certain place, let Greg McElroy have a shot. At least this kid can be a dropback passer like you've kind of already tailored your offense around. Tim Tebow either has to be somewhere A. He he has to be a full-time starter or he just should not be on a team. That's, that's the way it's got to be.
0: Gen right. again, Tywin Sal Capaccio, you can listen to him, WGR Sports Radio up in Buffalo. Uh, still on the quarterback, Sal, Ben Roethlisberger separated his shoulder last night against Kansas City. His status going forward remains questionable. Uh, the Steelers play Baltimore on Sunday night. How big of an impact will this injury have on Pittsburgh playoff aspirations? And is this a chance now for the Ravens, even with the injuries on their defense, to run away with the AFC North?
1: It probably is because Baltimore is much better than people think, even with that defensive, uh, the injuries that they have. Baltimore has a really good offense. I mean, they, they can do so much now in offense, more than they ever. They're not just a ground and pound team with Ray Rice like they used to be. Joe Flacco, Flacco guy? Can, I, I, Joe Flacco can win the game with his arm now, Ooh, yes.
0: You really think that?
1: Yep, yeah, well, show what, what they—they've been able to do that. I mean, they scored over fifty points last week, right?
0: They did it against Oakland, but yes, they did. I
1: mean, I mean, I, I'm not saying that Joe Flacco's an elite guy like Peyton or Eli or Drew Brees or those guys, but they can do so much more now with Flacco being able to really, uh, what he's been able to do over the last couple of years. But that said, I never count out a Pittsburgh Steelers team coached by Mike Tomlin. It seems like th- it is really the next guy up theory with them, and they really hold true to that. He comes and he comes in there, and he has this philosophy that if a guy goes down, another guy steps up. The Pittsburgh Steelers, the problem they have is I don't just don't think they're that talented as much as they have been. Their defense is getting a little bit older, and yeah, they can still win. They have a great coordinator, they have very good wide receivers. The running game's not as great as everybody, you know, kind of makes it out to be. They have some big numbers sometimes, but this is a team that's going to struggle without Ben Rothersberger. I think they can still win because they'll play Pittsburgh Ste- Steeler football, and they have a very good coach. But with two games coming up against Baltimore in the next three weeks, and then at Dallas a couple weeks later, you still got Cincy on the schedule. I, I don't know. This is going to be tough for them. They, I'm not counting them in of the playoffs so far. I mean, I know they're 6-3 and three right now. They have a, a very nice little spot where they are. But don't be surprised if three weeks from now they're right in the mix with a whole bunch of other teams sitting there.
0: The Texans won ugly Sunday night in Chicago, Sal. How important was it for them to show uh, that they could do that?
1: Well, I I just think it was important for them to win against an NFC team and show they can go on the road and do that. I don't know if it mattered how they won the game, what conditions they won the game. You know, the NFC has been abusing the AFC this year. It really has. If If you look at the numbers this year, and I think I did it last week, it was like 23 and 13 or something, the NFC over the AFC this year, which is a really wide margin. And... I think it was important for any team in the AFC to be able to beat an elite NFC team, which really the bears are this year, but especially for that team to show, to give them confidence. It didn't matter how they did it. The bears have been playing great defense all year. They've been playing great special teams. And really I thought the advantage in that game would come down to the Bears' special teams over Houston's because Houston's special teams just aren't that good, but Houston played a complete game. I know it was a, uh, a a tough situation with the weather and then a Jay Cutler went out, but for them to be as physical as they were with that team. I know you use the word ugly. I'll just say they they played more physical than I thought that they were. They're usually a team that's a little bit more finesse. They run on the edges. They don't pound you through the middle. That was a big win for them, and they showed me a little something because I really didn't know if they could play that style of football because, you know, in in – I don't think they'll have to go on the road, Alex, but if they had to go on the road in the playoffs, that's the kind of football they may have to play.
0: Yeah, and they seem to have the horses on defense to do it between Connor Barwin, J.J. Watt, yeah. etc. Um, Rapid fire here, Sal. Final few questions uh, with the interview. Of course, we're talking with Sal Capaccio, WGR Sports Radio in Buffalo. Follow him on Twitter, at Sal Sports. Uh, more likely to reach the playoffs, Sal, the Cowboys or Saints?
1: <sighs> well, I'm going to say neither. I don't like either chances, but... <laughs> Boy, I haven't looked at their schedules. I'm going to say the Saints because I'm going to go back to it's about Drew Brees. They have a great quarterback in Drew Brees. I'm looking at their schedule now. Boy, it's tough though. At Oakland, at Atlanta, at the Giants, at Dallas. Mm, interesting. All right, what's Dallas' schedule? Just give me a second. Let me see Dallas' no schedule. Well, they
0: got Cleveland this week at home. Where they and Washington, one.
1: Philly. Right. Ooh. So I guess Dallas probably has a better shot because of their schedule. But I like Drew Brees a lot more than I like Tony Romo, and I I just don't think either team is talented enough though, exactly. to be honest.
0: Uh, more likely to be fired before the season is over? Andy Reid or North Turner?
1: Before the season's over, North Turner. I, I, I don't think that they would do that to Andy Reid in Philadelphia. He's been there too long. They have too much respect for him. They will let him ride out the season. The Chargers, on the other hand, they, they've already given North chance after chance after chance. So I think they would be probably the quicker team to pull the trigger and try to move on with things than they would be in Philly.
0: Uh, less on the Chargers, Sal, something I've said a lot about the Chargers recently is, you know, I feel like when a lot of people talk about the Chargers, they, I mean, they still think the Chargers roster is, you know, circa 2006 with Sean Merriman and, you know, uh, Quinton Jammer is younger and Philip Rivers is younger and Michael Turner, Darren Sprawls, Vincent Jackson, but, you know, I think you look at the Chargers roster, they're better than what they are, but it's not an elite roster anymore either, I think some people forget that, especially here on the East Coast.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, you even look, they, they've they shuffled in wide receivers a couple of times. Robert Meacham was a big signing in the offseason. 13 catches, 197 yards. He's I mean, he's played the whole season, so I don't see what the issue is there, well, except for one game. But, you know, they have guys that, uh, yeah, like you said, Antonio Gates, he's still really talented, but he's also, he's getting older. He deals with injuries every once in a while. The Ryan Matthews situation really hurts them. Their running game situation hurts them a lot. They don't have a running back that can really stay healthy and stay on the field, and that's kind of hurt them. Yeah, Eddie Royal, what happened to him? I mean, here's a guy that, you know, you expect big things in that offense out of him. I agree with you. It's not that same roster, but... Philip Rivers isn't the same guy for some reason either, and that's a, a very heads, that's a big head scratcher. His he's basically fallen off a cliff over the last couple of years.
0: Continuing the rapid fire here, more likely to miss the playoffs: the Giants or Packers? And these teams play each other in two weeks after the Giants bye.
1: I will say the Packers because the Giants have a. Very nice cushion in the NFC East, and they should continue with that cushion, especially now that Vic is probably out. I don't like the Cowboys. Like I said, the Redskins aren't catching them. So in order for the the Packers to make it, they're going to have to probably get the wild card. I mean, I understand the Bears have an injury to Cutler, and anything can happen there. They could catch the Bears. But simply because the Giants look like they're going to win the NFC East, the Packers have to fight for one of those two spots, and there's still a few teams they have to fight with. And remember, Seattle beat them head-to-head if it comes down to that. Wouldn't it be something if it came down <laughs> to that replacement game oh. officials call? I mean, that would be that could be a scenario here, Alex, which is amazing.
0: We would call that karma, Sal, with the way the NFL owners treated the officials if it came down to that. Um, what's up with the Giants, though? Why does this always happen to them, the November lull?
1: I think they get bored and not bored in a sense of, I don't want to play football. I think that they know they're good. They have a three game lead in the NFC East. I think the sense of urgency is lost. Look what happens when they have a sense of urgency. They, they, they play great. They did when they won their Super Bowl the first time around when they beat the Patriots. And then again, last year, when they beat the Patriots, they got on a huge roll because they had a sense of urgency in both years. Remember the first time, I think they had to win all their games on the road in the playoffs. Yep. And then last year they were seven and seven after 14 games. So I think it's really just a sense of urgency and they have a good team. They have an elite quarterback in my estimation. I do think Eli is an elite quarterback in this league. They'll turn it around. They'll be fine. They got green Bay. They got to go to Washington. They have the saints. They have some games on their schedule, that's, but they're coming off the bye week So I think starting next week after Thanksgiving, basically you'll see this team turn around and start to turn it up.
0: All right. Last question, Sal. MVP. A lot of people love talking about this. Peyton Manning, is he undoubtedly the league's MVP or is Adrian Peterson giving him a big run for his money?
1: Oh, I'll throw another guy in there, J.J. Watt. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you got to give him serious consideration. Um, I wouldn't go with Peyton Manning as the league MVP right now. He's had a really good year, but, you know, look at if you look at what Adrian Peterson's been able to do for the Vikings and keep them in it because that was a team that I chose to be battling for the number one pick. That's how bad I thought Me they were yeah. that guy is single handedly keeping them where they are. Now you could probably argue the same thing for Peyton Manning. I get it. He's going to be the comeback player of the year. I mean, well, maybe Adrian Peterson is, right? Yeah. Who knows? Who could get that? But I think JJ Watt deserves a little more love. I, I would I would totally not have any problem if he won the MVP.
0: Sal Capaccio, of course, hear him regularly on Sports Radio, AM 550, WGR, in Buffalo. Follow him on Twitter, at Sal Sports. That's all one word, at Sal Sports. Also listen to him, podcasts, Buffalo Bills Now, NFL Now. Sal, it's coming up on the media docket for you. I know you're always a busy man.
1: Well, you know, we got a Thursday night game here in Buffalo this week. Short turnaround. Right, yeah. So uh, we got the Dolphins here at the Ralph. I'll be in the in the booth on the Bills Radio Network with John Murphy and Mark Kelso. They'll have the play-by-play action. I'll be along at halftime of that game with score stats and highlights, stuff like that. And, of course, Saturday in Buffalo, I always host my uh, Sports Talk Saturday program. Eleven to two. Also, next week, if uh, if you're a Buffalonian listening or he's just around, I'll be um I'll be doing the morning show on WGR, filling in for Jeremy White. So I'll be on all next week from six to ten a.m. in Buffalo.
0: Morning Drive. What's your tactic to the Morning Drive? size? So does it turn into a morning zoo when you take the mic or what?
1: <laughs> no, no, it's it's good stuff. Howard Simon. It's called the Howard Simon Show. He's the he's the main guy, and uh, we're kind of just there to help out and and lend lend some uh, interesting thoughts to the conversation. But definitely not a morning zoo. In fact, on Mondays we have Chan Gailey, and we talk to him live and recap the game. And we have a lot of, and, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. So we have a lot of really good interviews and it's, it's, it's good stuff. It, it's good sports talk for people. And you know me though, I'm just going to, I'm going to throw in a few things once in a while to make you laugh.
0: All right. Sal Capaccio. Oh, it does a great job. Sal, thanks for coming on the show. We'll definitely talk to you soon.
1: Thanks Alex. I appreciate it.
0: Again, hopefully you enjoyed the conversation with Sal Capaccio of sports radio, AM 550 WGR in Buffalo. As Sal's a terrific On-air personality, someone who I've known in this business for many years. And as always, we thank Sal for coming on the show and taking the time to talk with us. Uh, In the second down segment, of course, we look at the biggest off-field story or stories of the past week in the NFL. And this week, a couple things I want to hit on. Number one, quarterbacks Alex Smith, Jay Cutler, and Michael Vick were all removed from games last week due to concussions. Um, The league sent out a memo this week requesting teams to hire Independent concussion specialists, Uh, of course, teams usually have team-affiliated doctors evaluating players who have concussions, and the team-affiliated doctors make the decision as to whether the players can return to the field or not. The NFL wants independent concussion specialists to do that. Uh, I say... This should have happened a long time ago. I am totally in support uh, with the league here. I think teams should have independent concussion specialists because obviously with team-affiliated concussion specialists, uh, a conflict of interest undoubtedly comes into play. Um, Now, how are these concussions handled? Well, Alex Smith played an additional 12 plays, 12 snaps, I should say, after he suffered his concussion this Sunday. Uh, Mike Vick was removed, but was removed after the second major hit he took. And Jay Cutler was left in to play an additional seven snaps after getting hit by Houston linebacker Tim Dobbins. And Cutler wasn't removed from the game until after he was diagnosed with a concussion at halftime. Uh, so obviously, things are far from perfect, or the league would not have sent out that memo this week requesting teams to uh, hire independent concussion specialist which again is something that i think should have happened a long time ago uh so things are far from perfect in the league far from perfect and for obvious reasons you look at the eagles for example their season and playoff aspirations we're riding on that game against dallas and of course andy Reid is going to feel more comfortable with his number one quarterback mike vick uh into play instead of nick Foles. now that may be debatable but whatever the case um Vick is the starter, and Reed wanted his starter, Mike Vick, to play as long as he could in a must-win game. Uh, ditto for Alex Smith and the Niners, ditto for Levy Smith and the Bears, and Jay Cutler. Every week And the NFL, every game is a must-win game, especially with a team like the Eagles. Uh, so, it makes sense as to why teams would want their star quarterbacks to stay in even after possibly suffering concussions Earlier in the game, but of course it can backfire on you because Vic, for example, took the second hit and now they say he has a very severe concussion. So no word as to how long Vic will be out. Uh, So, you know, it's far from perfect. It's far from perfect in the league, but I do think concussion awareness is improving around the game, you know, because you did see Cutler stay out after he was ruled out at halftime there was none of this you know uh rolling in on a you know there was none of this uh you know Willis Reed stuff coming in uh you know uh, on the wheelchair late in the game to save the day for the team no I mean once the player is rolled out with a concussion today the player is out so I think that is a step forward certainly is a step forward but as we saw this week the league still has a bit of a ways to go in terms of totally improving their concussion awareness but there's, only, there's nowhere to go for, but up in the league. Uh, this certainly has gone up, at least in some respects, in regards to their handling of concussions. Uh, the other story I want to address here in the second-down segment is NFL officials. They had a bad week last week. Uh, Michael Silver on Yahoo Sports wrote a terrific column about this a couple of days ago. Uh, Trendon Holiday returned to punt for a touchdown on Sunday. He went 76 yards, except he released the football before crossing the goal line and uh, more salt was added to the wound here because uh, Panthers special teams coach Brian Murphy was actually fired after the game on Sunday, and if Holiday and the officials, of course, got that call right, uh, maybe Murphy would still have a job. Uh, The officials and Rams 49ers had a bad week as they allowed a minute and 12 seconds of game clock to tick off before uh, anybody noticed in the second quarter. Uh, There was also a fumble in overtime. The Rams fumbled at their own 36-yard line with 56 seconds remaining in OT, uh, the 49ers ripped the ball free. St. Louis wound up recovering. However, the ball was spotted back at the St. Louis 33 yard line, so the ball was spotted incorrectly. And over 25 seconds were taken off the clock to figure out the spot of the ball. And a play like that may have contributed to the tie result we got from St. Louis. San Francisco last Sunday. I watched the Bills-Patriots game this week. I thought the officials were very flag-happy. They called a horrific pass interference on Bills cornerback Stephon Gilmore. He was covering Brandon Lloyd. Lloyd was going on a fly route. The ball was way over Lloyd's head. Uh, You know, uh, 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 out of the field of play. And yet, the officials still threw the flag, called the pass interference on Gilmore. Patriots got the ball on the one-yard line. So, the officials had a bad week. You know, no doubt about that. And with replay... It isn't excusable to get some of those calls wrong, especially the holiday touchdown. I mean, how do you get that long? Every scoring play can be reviewed nowadays. I mean, how do you get that call wrong? That is beyond me. Uh, Pass interference is a judgment call, but, you know, I I have a problem with the pass interference rule anyway. I think because it's a judgment call, uh, it can have way too much of an impact on a game. I understand you don't necessarily want to implement, you know, only a 10-15-yard penalty because then on a deep pass, of course, the opposing cornerback's going to go for the pass interference every time. Rather get the 10-15-yard penalty, they give up a 70-yard touchdown. So, you know, there has to be, you know, there, there, there's a lot of gray area there, obviously, but it still makes me uncomfortable to have such a judgment call, play such a big role in so many games across the league, and you saw it happen again last week in the Patriots-Bills game, but... I do want to say this. Yes, the real referees had a bad week last week, especially the Trenton holiday call with replay. It is inexcusable to still get that one wrong. But please, please do not equate the performances we saw on Sunday to anything those replacement referees did when they refed games through the first three weeks. Please do not equate the two, okay? These two things are not equal. The games weren't operating smoothly through the first three weeks of the season. The games were taking close to four hours to play. Please, these real referees are not perfect. In some cases, far from it. We saw it over the past week. But again, the real referees and replacement referees could not be more different. The replacement referees, if you remember, couldn't even properly run a game. Every call was the most controversial call on earth. You had players getting into fights, coaches berating and harassing the officials. You know, trying to find out where to spot the ball after a first down was like rocket science. I mean, come on. Let's not make a false equivalency here. The real referees had a bad week. But it would have been the best week the replacement referees ever had. Please. Heading into our third down segment, it's the Big Up Slowdown segment, where I say a statement and then express my agreement or disagreement with it by saying Big Up or Slow Down. Question numero uno, or statement numero uno, I should say. The 49ers and Rams, tied at 24 last week. Two players, by the way, including St. Louis' Danny Amendola, didn't know they could tie in the NFL, joining Donovan McNabb as players who somehow don't know the rules of the game they play. Uh, So, big up or slow down. Time to eliminate the tie. Uh, I say yes, big up. It is time to eliminate the tie. Uh, They can go to the college system of starting on, you know, the 25 or 30-yard line of the opposing team. And I know that's not real football, but neither is tying. You know, these teams put in too much work and too much preparation to play the game and then not have a winner declared after 60 minutes and after overtime, 75 minutes. You know, just... Too much work goes into it. Uh, So, you know, I think there shouldn't be ties anymore in the NFL. Go to the collar system, start in the opposing team's red zone. Uh, maybe, you know, don't count field goals, you know, because any NFL kicker, of course, can hit from 25, 30 yards out. So maybe don't count field goals. It has to be touchdowns to win. You match touchdowns. Uh, but whatever the case, ties should no longer stand in the NFL, and all it takes is a couple of teams to take to the competition committee before it gets seriously discussed. And, you know, this situation, of course, is so rare, and it's often the result of missed plays. Like, for example, Danny Amendola. Caught an 80-yard pass from Sam Bradford in OT. Uh, went deep into San Francisco territory, but it was called back due to an illegal formation. Uh, it goes back to what I was talking about with Sal Capaccio. And the first on segment about how the mediocre teams consistently beat themselves. And the Rams are a mediocre team. And as you saw on Sunday against San Francisco, a good team, the Rams beat themselves. They could have, They could have and they should have won that game. They had it, Bradford to Amendola, 80 yards in overtime, boom, instantly, game over. All you need to do is hold on to the ball and kick a field goal. But instead, the play gets called back due to an illegal formation. The mediocre teams in this league consistently beat themselves, and I saw St. Louis do that. On Sunday in overtime, and uh, that's why you saw the 49ers Rams game end in a tie. A real opportunity for St. Louis. You have to think that takes a big. You have to think their divisional uh, hopes go at you know take a big hit after that. Alex Smith was out. Colin Kaepernick was in. It was a perfect opportunity for St. Louis to sneak by San Francisco, get a big divisional win. Seattle, of course, trounced the Jets last week. They remain undefeated at home. Uh, It's very conceivable to see the Seahawks going 7-1 or so at home this season, and then all you need to do is win half your game's on the road, and you're an 11-win team, and you're in the playoffs. So, you have to think St. Louis's fleeting divisional hopes took a big loss with their tie game against San Francisco last Sunday. Now, the Vikings beat the Lions on Sunday, 34-24. Adrian Peterson had another monster game. So, big up or slow down. The Vikings who are still above 500? they they're now 6-4, and four. are they a legitimate playoff contender? Uh, I say slow down. Nope, still not buying on the Vikings. I am buying on Peterson. He already has 1,128 rushing yards this season, seven touchdowns. As I said with Sal, the MVP debate in my eyes comes between Adrian Peterson and Peyton Manning, and right now I think it can make many compelling arguments for Peterson. But, as far as the Vikings as a team goes, uh... I still think they win with smoke and mirrors largely. Uh, Christian Ponder played much better last week against Detroit, but that's a very bad Detroit defense, especially a Detroit secondary. Um, And, you know, look at the Vikings' schedule. Tell me a win here. I can only really see one. They're at Chicago this week, loss, at Green Bay, loss, versus Chicago at home, probably a loss, then versus St. Louis at Houston, then they wrap up against Green Bay. They play Chicago and the Packers four more times, visit Houston, then they play St. Louis. I can very conceive, I can conceivably see the Vikings going one and five in that stretch. I really can. Uh, the schedule is doing them no favors in the second half of the season. Uh, I don't think the Vikings are good enough to win those road games. I don't think they're good enough to even go 500 against Chicago and Green Bay. So I not only have them missing the playoffs this year, but I actually have the Vikings. Finishing below 500 when all is said and done. Uh, final big up and slow down after a tight game on Sunday, and the Saints eked out a four point victory and reports that Falcons defensive players Sean Weatherspoon and Jonathan Babineau disrupted the Saints pregame warm ups. Big up or slow down, the Saints Falcons is now one of the NFL's premier rivalries. Uh, I'm going to go big up here. I think it is one of the league's premier rivalries. Uh, hell, if you say the Patriots and Jets, is one of the league's premier rivalries. You have to say the Saints-Falcons is, because at least both the Saints and Falcons made the playoffs last season and are both pretty good teams this year. You know, the Falcons are 8-1. and one. They remain, you know, team with the best record in the NFC next to Chicago. Uh, the Saints are 4-5, and five, something they have the momentum heading into the second half of the season. Like Sal, I'm still not necessarily buying into the Saints. Saints remain below 500 at four and five hundred at 4-5. They have quite an uphill climb still ahead of them. Uh, But big up, this is one of the game's premier rivalries. The teams have both made the playoffs over the past several seasons. Saints, of course, won the Super Bowl in 2009. Uh, They both play a dome style of game. They're both manby-pamby dome teams. I think New Orleans a little more than Atlanta. But still, that hurts them a little bit in my eyes. It's not real outdoor football, if you will, and I'm a purist at heart. Uh, But there's a lot of drama to these games. The whole pregame incident adds some tension to this matchup. Uh, These two teams face off again in two weeks. The game probably won't have a major divisional implication, but if the Saints climb back to 500, it will once again have massive playoff implications for the Saints. It'll be another must-win game for them. So, big up. Over the past couple of years, uh, the Saints and Vikings have both been very good teams in the NFC South, and uh, they always seem to play entertaining games when they match up. Though they are Mamby Pamby Dome teams, uh, sure, big up. That uh, That is becoming one of the NFL's premier rivalries because both teams are good, largely. And that, of course, is the most important ingredient to any major rivalry. Wrapping up the show here with our fourth down segment, we call this the Reamer Rant. And the Reamer Rant this week has to do with Eagles fans. And more specifically, why Eagles fans are right. Uh, They are calling for Andy Reid's head after another loss last week to Dallas. It may be the Nick Foles error anyway in Philadelphia as Mike Vick is still suffering from a pretty serious concussion. Uh, I thought Foles played pretty well on the hole last Sunday. I thought he threw a beautiful touchdown pass to Jeremy Macklin, a 44-yarder. He did throw an interception, but Deshaun Jackson should have come down with that ball. Yeah, it was behind him a little bit, but... Foles hasn't taken a lot of snaps with the first unit since the preseason. It was a slant route there. That's a timing route, anybody will tell you. And it hit off Jackson's hands. If it hits off your hands like that, you got to bring it in if you're an NFL-caliber wide receiver. that thought Foles moved around pretty decently in the pocket, showed some good pocket awareness, certainly has a big arm, which we like to see. Uh, I like Nick Foles, and I think Nick Foles deserves another shot to start, which he may get anyway this week, as Vic may be out with a pretty serious concussion. Um, but Andy Reid, of course, his job is being called for with the Eagles now three games below, 500-3-6, uh, columnists, uh, you know, Mike Vicks, of course, is being called out, the defense is being called out, and for some reason, the national media is whistling past the graveyard. Uh, I was on a national website, I forget whether it was ESPN or Yahoo this week, and one of their featured calmness on the menu was, uh, you know, why Eagles fans need Donovan McNabb back, they can redirect their anger towards him, like, oh, ha, look at those crazy Eagles fans blaming McNabb, blaming everybody, well, I mean, Donovan McNabb, by the way, when he was in in Philadelphia, never won the big one, Uh, that 2004 Super Bowl, folks, that game was there for Philly's taking, and... Players on the Eagles at that time have come out and said, Look, McNabb couldn't run the two minute drill because he wasn't in shape. He was dry heaving on the field. He was throwing up in his mouth. He couldn't run the two minute drill. He wasn't in shape. Uh, so please do not get me started on McNabb. I think one of the, him and Brett Favre right there, the most two overrated quarterbacks of this generation, bar none, uh, but it's the way Eagles fans are portrayed. Oh, you know, oh, uh, where's McNabb? Oh, you know, where's you know, where the Eagles fans that need someone to blame? Well, you know what? Yeah, Eagles fans on the whole are knuckle-dragging Neanderthals, and yeah, Eagles fans are a little below everyone else. I, I get that, and usually I buy onto that. But the Eagles fans are right here. I'm sticking up for them, man. Andy Reid hasn't gotten it done. He's coached the Eagles since 1999. And yeah, he's led them to five NFC title games, but no Super Bowl titles. And the last NFC title game happened in 08. They lost to Arizona, Then they lost in the wild card round to Dallas in 2009. Yep, one of Dallas's lone playoff wins over the past 15 years. Philadelphia in 09, they lost the wild card round to Green Bay in 2010, they then won 8-8 last season, they're 3-6 this season with the same roster from 2011, the players aren't responding, they aren't improving, the team hasn't improved for the past 4 seasons, it's time to make a change, it's time to make major changes in Philadelphia. I was watching First Take for some inexplicable reason earlier this week, Uh, that is the worst show on TV. Bar none, uh, my ears hurt after two minutes of watching that thing. And I'm someone who spends most of his time on this show yelling at you. So I can appreciate some yelling. But my goodness, Skip Bayless and Stephen A. take it to the next level. Talk about contrived journalism. Why well, know why people hate sports talk radio. Why well, why people hate that. Well, watch First Take for two minutes like I did earlier this week, and you'll see why. Everything is the most important thing ever. I mean, I was listening to Stephen A. On first take talk about the Eagles. And he was talking about Andy Reid's job status. Like you know. In the most solemn of tones. You know. Listen. Skip. I've observed what's going on. With the Philadelphia Eagles. In the National Football League. And I've seen. The signs out there. Calling. For Coach Andy Reid's job. And it's tough to watch, Skip. It's really tough to watch. And I think the Eagles have to ask themselves some questions. If they're going to go forward in the National Football League, are they going to leave their coach, Andy Reid, behind? A man who's done so much, Skip. Eagles fans are calling for his head. I mean, come on, man. He hasn't gotten it done. The team's 3-6 and six after going 8-8 eight and eight last year. The super roster. Some, you know, the voice falls on deaf ears after a while. It happened to Terry Francona here in Boston in 2011. It happens. You know, oh, the Lakers are 1-4. You know, Skip, I think Kobe Bryant needs to ask himself some questions about his tenacity, about his will. The Los Angeles Lakers and the National Basketball Association need to take a step back and reevaluate themselves, Skip, after this one and two start. I mean, come on. Give me a break. And I'm someone who wants to go into Sports Talk Radio. I want to stir the pot. And even I say, Stephen A. and Skip Bayless, take it way too far, man. Way too far. Andy Reid deserves to lose his job. Mike Vick deserves to lose his quarterback job. The Eagles roster should be blown up. There's nothing dramatic or solemn about it. It's just a fact at this point. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Football Nation Today podcast, episode 25 on footballnation.com. Again, thanks for to Sal Capaccio of Sports Radio, WGR in Buffalo, for coming on the show. We always appreciate Sal's time. If you want to contact me via email, shoot me a message. My email address is a at bu.edu. Also follow me on Twitter if you feel so inclined. My Twitter name is at alexreamer1. And like we saw last week, as always, feel free to leave a comment on the show page on footballnation.com. That is always much appreciated. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy your week. We'll be back to talk about the latest around the NFL next Wednesday, recapping Week 10, looking ahead to Week 11, which includes three. That's right, three Thanksgiving games, including Patriots-Jets next Thursday night. Wouldn't that be the time for the Jets to unleash Tebow in prime time on Thanksgiving night? Oh, a man can dream, and we'll have more information about that on next week's show. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next on Football Nation today, next Wednesday.